earth after uh, it was told to them that they were going to have this child. Elizabeth would have been anxiously awaiting the birth as she was told uh, of the birth of the Lord Jesus. We are told specifically that Simeon was waiting for the birth of Christ. Tells us in Luke 2.25, now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. Anna was awaiting the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And not only was Anna awaiting the birth of Jesus, but there were many Israelites who were true worshipers of God who were anxiously awaiting for the birth of the Christ. In Luke 2.38, it says, And coming up that very hour, she, that is Anna, began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So all these people are waiting for the birth of Christ. Certainly, there had been a truth that had been declared that a virgin would conceive and bear a son in the book of Isaiah. But long before Isaiah, going all the way back to Adam and Eve, it was told that Eve, that there would be one that would be born that would bruise the head of Satan, referring to the eventual birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. So they were waiting for literally thousands of years for the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, just as in the Old Testament, saints were waiting for the birth of Christ, we too are to be waiting for the second coming of Christ. My actual text this morning is from 2 Peter, and I would ask you to turn there. 2 Peter chapter 3. My text is verses 10 through 15. But I would point out to you that a main element in this passage is that of waiting. If you look at verse 13, it says waiting for, or if you don't have an ESV, it probably says looking for, or looking toward, and hastening the coming day of God. Verse 13, but according to his promise, we are waiting, or looking for. And verse 14, therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these. So waiting is a key element in the book of Second Peter as we anticipate the Lord Jesus Christ. So my theme is, what are we to learn concerning waiting for the Lord's return and the accompanying events? What are we to learn about waiting? Well, first, we learn how we are to be waiting for the Lord's return and his accompanying events. We are to be eagerly awaiting that return. Another way of translating waiting could be translated as it is in NAS, looking for, looking for, looking for the coming of the day of God. Like we might be looking for a shipment of a special package. Maybe you have ordered something and anticipate it's coming before Christmas. And so you are looking for that package to arrive in the mail. You're on the lookout for it. You're 
anticipating it, eagerly looking for it. Another way we could view waiting for the Lord's return is that we are to be looking forward to his coming. That's the way the NIV translates it. As you look forward to the day of God and to speed his coming. Anxiously awaiting, like waiting for an event because of all that will take place in association with that event. Like looking forward to a wedding. Or looking forward to having a driver's license. Or looking forward to a graduation. Or even looking forward to Christmas. The reason that we look forward to these events is because of that which is associated with them. Marriage, we look forward to because we want to be together. We want to establish our lives. We want to establish our family. It's, it's everything that's associated with that marriage. Graduation, we look forward to because finally school has ended and now there's a measure of freedom. And we look forward to getting on with our lives. Maybe more education or maybe going off in, into the work field. But we look for all the things that accompany salvation. We look forward to Christmas. And we look forward to the lights and we look forward to the, the uh, Christmas tree and we look forward to the, the cookies and we look forward to the presents. We look forward to many things. Well, we're to be looking forward to the Lord's return because of all the events that are associated with it and we'll talk about those events in just a moment. But the way in which we're to be looking for or waiting for the Lord's return is not a passive waiting, but an active waiting. For notice what it says in verse 12. Waiting, and now the next word says hastening. Hastening the coming day of God. Hastening the coming day of God. The NIV translates it as, as you look forward to the day of God, and now these words, and speed its coming. It's speed its coming. We don't just have to wait passively. Sometimes we can wait actively. There are things that we can do to speed up the things that we are waiting for. Like, I talked about waiting for a package. Well, one of the things you might do is Pay extra to get one day shipping. So you don't have to wait so long. Waiting for a wedding day. You may decide to move it up. You may decide it's too long. And so you have a different wedding day. Perhaps you're waiting for graduation. And as you look at it, you think, that is so far off. And so you do something to speed it up. Maybe you take extra courses, extra credits each semester. Uh, maybe you take summer courses. All to shorten the time. And instead of taking four years, maybe you can get it down to three and a half or three. There are things you can do to speed it up. And sometimes when you're waiting, you're just not ready for it to take so long, and you want to speed it up. In our passage, we're told that we're to wait in such a way as to actually speed up the Lord's return. Look at verse 12. Waiting for and hastening the coming of the day. The NIV translates it well when it says, speed it's coming. Speed it's coming. Well, it's easy to figure out how to speed up a package or how to speed up graduation. But how do you speed up the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? How do you make him come more quickly? And yet, that's what the passage exhorts us to do. 
speed his coming. How do you speed it up? Well, to understand how we speed it up, first we have to understand what slows it down. Okay. What is slowing the Lord's return? Earlier in this passage, some are losing confidence in the Lord's return because it's taking so long. Look at verse 3 of chapter 3. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are coming, continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. They say, where is he coming? Nothing's changed. I don't see him on the horizon. Well, a reason is given to us in the text as to why Christ has not yet returned. It's given to us in verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness. Uh, he's not dilly-dallying, and he's not procrastinating, like some people count slowness. No, he's got a good reason for not yet having come. And that is given to us in the end of verse 9. But is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but all should reach repentance. The Lord Jesus Christ is not willing that any one of his elect is lost. I preached on this passage not too many months ago. If you were here on a Sunday night, you heard that in great detail, so I'm not going to expand on it very much, except to say that when the last person comes to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ that is his, he will return. When that last person is saved, Jesus will come back. Notice 2 Peter 3.15, and says, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation. So how can we speed up the Lord's return? Answer, by taking the gospel to all people. The quicker the people are saved, the quicker the Lord Jesus is going to return. Listen to the words of Matthew chapter 24, verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. Once this gospel has been preached to all the nations, then he will come. You want to speed up the Lord's return? Be actively involved in spreading the gospel so that everyone hears. Once that happens, he's coming back. So the admonition is, Wait expectantly, but don't just wait passively, wait actively. Speed it up. Share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he does return, he's going to bring judgment upon this world. Those who do not know the Lord will be judged. 2 Peter 3, 7. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept unto the day of judgment, destruction of the ungodly. So there's going to be a time of judgment when he returns. There's going to be destruction when he turns. 
All of this in association. Just like there's things in associated with getting married. It all doesn't happen the same day. You have kids, you have a family. It doesn't all happen the day you say I do, but it's all associated with this day of, of marriage. It enters into a whole new situation. So too when the Lord returns. The world will be judged. Their sinfulness will be revealed. At the end of verse 10. And the works that are done in it will be exposed. The world as we know it, will be destroyed. Verse 12. Waiting for and hasting the coming day of God because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved. Which refers back to verse 10. Look at verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away with a roar. The heaven bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the works that are done in it will be exposed. So there's a day coming. Not immediately upon the Lord's return, but when the Lord returns, one of the things that are associated with it is that he is going to destroy this earth. That's why he's waiting for the last person to be saved. Once that last person is saved, he's coming back. And one of the things in association with his return is the destruction of this earth. So what are we waiting for? Well, we're not anxiously looking forward to the destruction. What we're anxiously looking forward to is the new heavens and the new earth. It's the events that are associated with his coming. We are waiting for the fulfillment of God's promise, verse 13. But according to his promise, according to his promise, there it's listed as a singular promise, but it's a promise that has many things associated with it. Among which is the promise that in view is the accompanying the day of the Lord. Verse 13. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth. That has been promised to us. Isaiah chapter 65, verse 17. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall be remembered and come into mind no more. Isaiah 66, 22. For as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain. So he's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. After this world is destroyed, it will be replaced with a new heaven and a new earth. And what we're looking forward to is given to us at the end of verse 13. But according to his promise, we're waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. It's a summary statement. A lot could be said about the new heaven and the new earth. There is much written in Isaiah 65, Isaiah 66, Revelation chapter 21. Uh, but what is the overarching presentation is, it's a place where righteousness dwells. Listen to the description of Revelation chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth have passed away. There's no more sea. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. We're looking for a time 
in which God actually dwells on this earth and reveals himself to us. It says that he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Now, it's commonplace to hear these verses read at a funeral. But the reality is that this isn't talking about the time after we die. This is talking about the time after the Lord returns and the new heaven and new earth. Listen to verse 1. I saw a new heaven and new earth. And this is a part of it. We are longing for that day in which God makes everything right. He will destroy all that is wicked and sinful. He will deal with all the consequences of sin, the pollution that has affected this earth. Romans says that the, the whole earth is groaning, waiting for the adoptions of the Son of God. He's going to deal with every aspect that sin has tainted this world, and it's going to be gone. And it's going to be replaced with something that's spanking brand new. And the greatest characterization of it is it's righteous. It's holy. Revelation 21, 25, and 26 says, And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it glory and honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor does anyone who does what is detestable or false. In this new heaven and this new earth, there will be nothing that enters it that's detestable. There will be no one who does anything that's false. In it, righteousness dwells. And included in that righteousness dwelling is the fact that God actually dwells with us here on a physical earth, we in physical bodies, carrying on what God had intended before the fall. That's what we're waiting for. That's what we're looking for. That's our ultimate and final hope. And then thirdly, we learn the application of our waiting. Peter is writing to people who are in fact waiting. Just as I am writing, talking to people who are in fact waiting. Notice verse 14. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these things, okay, you're doing it. Okay, Peter says, since you're waiting for these things, since that's your hope, and since you are spreading the gospel, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. We can have confidence in God fulfilling his promise. Habakkuk says this, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. 
for still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. The Lord is coming back. It's sure. It's sure. He's coming back. And ultimately, he's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. It's certain. It's real. And, you know, we may find ourselves thinking, you know, it's been over 2,000 years since the crucifixion. 2,000 years. And the Lord hasn't come yet. Does that seem like a long time to you? Is that something you get kind of tired of waiting for? And, and, and you're losing your expectation because, come on, 2,000 years? Think of the Old Testament saints. Think of the birth of the Lord Jesus. And it says that there were people there that were waiting for the consolation of Israel. You realize that from the time of the prediction of the birth of Jesus to the time that he was born was far, far longer than 2,000 years. But he came. He came. There were people that hadn't lost sight. There were people that still believed. There were still people who were looking for and there were still people that were rewarded because they believed he was coming. Now, in comparison, only 2,000 years have passed. He's coming. He's coming. And we are to be waiting it. Anxiously, eagerly, actively. And notice that it says that we're to be without spot or blemish. What does that mean? And we could go into a huge amount of discussion. But let's save some time and go to 2 Peter chapter 2. Second Peter chapter 2 is talking about false teachers. It's talking about false professors of faith. So Peter chapter 2, starting verse 12. But these like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, Born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction. These people that are not believing, suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing, they count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are, now these words, blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions, while they feast with you. They are spots and blemishes. It's the same phrase that's found in our text. We're to be without spot and blemish. We are surrounded by spots and blemishes. We are surrounded by a people who don't believe. 
We are surrounded by people who are not looking for the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. They don't even believe in the first coming. They don't even believe in the virgin birth. They don't even believe in the reality of, of Jesus Christ. They mock it. They make fun of it. They're ridiculing it, as it says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 and following. So they ridicule it, they make fun of it, they mock it. How in the world can you believe such a thing? And so they live a life of unrighteousness, unholiness, where they're not anticipating anything better. They're reveling, they're partying. They are living as though none of this is true. But we believe it's true. So it says we are to live it without spot and blemish. We're not to allow those attitudes, beliefs, and actions to rub off on us. We're not to allow the naysayers affect us. We are not to allow their partying and their reveling and their mockery to affect us. We are to continue to remain waiting anxiously and actively, proclaiming the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, looking for a place where righteousness dwells. And if we look for a place where righteousness dwells, we get a better understanding how important righteousness is. On the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Blessed are they who do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. We live in a fallen world with so much dissatisfaction because unrighteousness produces heartache. Unrighteousness produces misery. Unrighteousness produces difficulties between husband and wife. Unrighteousness is what has made a mess of this world. And so we're looking forward to a new world in which there is no unrighteousness. So while we are waiting for it, we are to be living righteously, for it's the first step. It's a bit of the foretaste. The more righteous we live, and more righteous that those are who are around us, the more of a taste we get of this new heaven and this new earth. May God enable us to wait, actively proclaiming the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you that he's coming again. We thank you for this new heaven and this new earth, a place where righteousness dwells. Oh Lord, thank you for allowing us to be a part of your kingdom. Thank you for allowing us to be people who will be occupants of the new heaven and the new earth because of the salvation that we enjoy through the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that through faith in him we can experience the forgiveness of sins, enjoy peace with God, and that great deliverance that you have for us. Lord, help us to take that message to others. This world desperately needs it. Help us to proclaim the good news of the kingdom, of this coming again of the Lord Jesus and the establishment of a new heaven and new earth where righteousness dwells. And Lord, help us to keep in mind that yes, we are even hastening your coming as we share 
the word of God, the gospel, with people who have not heard. And we say, with John, the writer of the book of Revelation, even so come, Lord Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.